Psalm 5. I was studying this all week long, and the music today cemented it into my heart of what I was thinking as I was driving down here this morning. And there's some new faces here, so I don't mind repeating a story that I've told a few times from up here. But the very first time I preached was in January of 1988 in a small little church in Vermont. And we, as the minister of the night, it was a Sunday evening service, we could select our music. And so uh, How Great Thou Art is my favorite hymn. And I said, let's do that one. And traditionally for the Sunday evening service, we'd sing just one verse and then the guy get up and give the message when else sit down. I was so scared to death that we did all four verses. And uh, I, I just didn't know what, you know, my very first time up there, and I, I think I stood the whole time with my head down and my notes in front of me, and I don't know if there was anybody in front of me listening or not because I was so scared. I could still feel my knees shaking. So that song brings it back to me every time. One of the things in the psalm today that we're gonna, I, I hope to extract from it is no matter what's going on in this world around us, and as we've mentioned going through the psalms the past few weeks, there's a lot going on in this world around us. And sometimes we look at that and we say, how in the world can we press on? How can we, how can we hold our heads up and move forward in Christ it, 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 with all that's going on? It, you know, surely the end is near. Surely the, the, the end is upon us. The world is collapsing in on us. And in that, we as believers have to show joy. We can't be sullen. We saw David going up the, the mountain. Uh, in Jerusalem, up to the top, and, and we saw in that psalm where his shoulders were bent down and his head was over, and he, the, everybody was after him. And, and sometimes we as Christians, we think that's, that's us. The world is winning and we are losing, and I just put my shoulders down and my head down and trudge through life. And then we get a hymn that says, How great thou art. That'll lift your shoulders. That'll lift your head. And it's not being ignorant about what's going on around us. It's being joyful no matter what is going on around us. I, I spied it this morning when, a couple times, standing in the back with my cup of coffee, and I see you guys come in, and you start talking to each other, and the smiles on the faces, that's joy. You have issues going on in life at home. You have issues in the family. You come in here, and there's joy glowing on you. The meet and greet thing, you know, in Bible school things, they, they say, you know, the meet and greet thing makes new people nervous. Don't do the meet and greet. Don't, don't tell them to get up and go over there and shake somebody's hand because they're, they're afraid to do that. And I was one of those guys. I, you know, I didn't always like that meet and greet thing. I'd sit in the back and hope nobody would see me. But to see us as a family, as a church family, get up and greet each other and smile and genuinely want to know what's going on in each other's lives brings joy to my heart as a, a pastor. And David has the same thing going on. We saw the last couple of weeks that he was being chased by his son. He lost his counselor, his best friend. He, the world, his kingdom is collapsing. He writes this, this psalm, Psalm 5. It's a prayer for protection from the wicked, is the heading. And he directs this to the choir director for the flute accompaniment, a psalm of David. So this is his psalm that he says, I don't care what's going on around me. Get the flutist out and we're going to praise the Lord. And that is what changes your direction and thought process. You don't get mired and buried in what's going on around you. You focus on him. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Heed the sounds of my cry for help, my King and my God. For you I pray in the morning, O Lord. You will hear my voice. In the morning I will order my prayer to you. 
and eagerly watch. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall stand before your eyes, shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehoods. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. But as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house. At your holy temple, I will bow down in reverence for you. O Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward parts is destruction itself. Their their throat is an open grave. They flatter with the tongue. Hold them guilty, O God. By their own devices, let them fall. In the multitude of their transgressions, thrust them out, for they are rebellious against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy, and may you shelter them, that those you love, your name may exalt in you, for it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You surround him with favor as a shield. Again, David pouring out his heart. This is a prayer that he wrote that he's exulting and, and throwing out before the Lord. And he said, and it's broken down. There's like seven different sections in here. This first part is David's habit. This is, what, this is David's habitual life in this verses one through three. He says, give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God. For you, I pray in the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. The first verse there is is called a Hebrew parallelism. He's saying the same thing three different ways. He's saying, give ear to my words, consider my groaning, and heed the sound. Listen to me, is what he's saying. Not, Not a command to say, Lord, you had better listen to me. But he says, Lord, give ear to my words. I'm pouring my heart out towards you. Give ear to that. Hear what I'm about to say to you, Lord. Consider my groaning. Here's a man in pain. And he says, Lord, hear my prayer. Hear the groaning that's coming from my heart. Heed the sound of my cry for help. When we need help, we don't want to keep that contained within us. We want to say the same thing that David did. God, hear my prayer. Hear my groaning. Hear the sound of my cry. It's not all fun and games in this life. We have groanings, and we have pain, and we have agony in our families and around us. And we are to take that and give that up to the Lord and say, Lord, I know you can hear me. Lord, I I know that you consider the groaning from inside my soul. And Lord, I know that you heed the sound of my cry for help. My king and my God, David knows who his king is. Not King David, it's King David. Jesus, King, the Lord, and he's David's King and David's God and our King and our God. And we can take our groanings to that King without fear that he's going to abandon us. He hears our agony. He, he, he loves it when we come to him and just shed out our hearts, open it and let it be at his feet. And he says, for you, 
I pray in the morning. This is David's habit. He, we saw last week he prayed when he went to bed, and now he gets up in the morning. First thing he does is he prays to the Lord. Do you? Do I? Is that the last thing we do when we go to bed at night is say a prayer? First thing we do, we get up in the morning. Lord, I hear, I hear my groaning, hear my pain. Sometimes we get up and we get to the coffee pot. Sometimes we get up and we turn on the news. Sometimes we get distracted with life. And then we forget in the morning. Lord, bless my day. Guide my path. Open the, the fields for me, Lord. I'll do it, I'll do it on the train when I get, on the way to work. And I forget. I'll do it when I'm walking from the train to the office. And I get busy. One day down. Tuesday comes. That's what happens. For you, Lord, I pray. David doesn't pray for David. He's praying for the Lord. He's saying, Lord, I put you in such a high esteem and, and place in my life that I am praying to you, for you. And I do it in the morning, oh Lord. It's the first thing I do when I get up. You will hear my voice. And that's not a command. He's not saying, you will hear my voice. He says, I get up first thing in the morning and I pray to you and I know you will hear my voice. I know you will hear the pain in my heart. I know you will guide my, my life. I have confidence in that. And that's what we do when we pray. We go to the Lord and we say, Lord, I have full confidence that I don't know how to get out of this. I don't know how to fix it, but I pray for you. I pray to you in the morning and I know that you will hear my voice. And if the Lord hears your voice, he's going to answer your prayers. And as we all know, not the way we oftentimes think he should answer our prayers. And I've told many of my life stories about that. He hears my voice. He will direct my path and he will make the right decisions in my life. His sovereign grace, his steadfast loving kindness will guide us. And the second part of this is in verses four through six. It's David's praises. So he's got a, he's got a habit. He gets up every morning and he prays. He goes to bed every night and he prays. He directs that towards the Lord. The Lord hears him. The next part here in four through six is his praises. For, for you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. God is in heaven and takes no pleasure in wickedness and what's going on in this world. He doesn't take pleasure in that at all. No evil dwells in you. You know, we hear people sometimes say that this chaos in the world, how could God allow this to happen? He doesn't enjoy this. He takes no pleasure in this. But sin is in this world. And sin has consequences, as I often say up here. And he takes no joy and no pleasure in any of that. No evil dwells in you. And here's what happens next. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. This, the people now that are committing the heinous surroundings in this world, they're not going to get away with it for long. You know, the, the, the people that kill innocent babies, you can't pull those babies back, but they will pay for that sin. The people that, that are... We talked about it last week. They're running this country. 
and, and, and putting God not even on the back seat. They're putting God out of every view and saying there is no God. Now, let me not say it overtly. You know, I don't think somebody's going to get elected and stand up and say, there is no God. But the rules that they make, the laws that they pass, uh, on both sides of the, uh, the aisle, God takes a backseat to all of it. They make decisions based on what's good for them. Not even what's good for us as a, as a, a, a country, but what's good for them. You see people in service for 30, 40 years. They go in making 20000 bucks a year and they come out millionaires. The boastful not, shall not stand before your eyes. You hate. God hates something. You hate all who do iniquity. God hates all who do iniquity. It doesn't say God hates iniquity. He says all who do. God hates people is what that would say. God looks down from heaven. Remember a few weeks back we talked about when uh, Shirley MacLaine was, you know, went out on the beach and he said, I am a God. And God looked down and he laughed. The same thing here. God looks down and he says, I hate you that do iniquity. And he doesn't say there's no way that you can uh, not come into my kingdom. He hates those that are doing iniquity and there is hope for them. What is that hope? That they turn and they repent and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. They go then from being an iniquity person to a saved person. God doesn't say, I hate all who do iniquity and there's no chance in the world for them. There's a chance in the world for everybody. You hate all who do iniquity, Lord. You, you destroy those who speak falsehoods. They think they're going to get away with it. They think they're going to say there is no God. They think that they can pull off a new scheme. And this is not only in public life, this is from the pulpit too. There are ministers that this is applying to. When you stand up and say there's another way, that this might be your best life, this is not our best life. We have a kingdom to come. Our best life is when we leave this planet. Our residency is in heaven. Our home is in heaven. I, I love all the patrioticness here. And you know, we talked a few months back about we're not citizens of this world. We're not citizens of this country. Our citizenship is in heaven. And this is patriotic and this is cool, but man, when we get home, the 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 patrioticness of heaven will be surrounded by the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's something to look forward to. This is great joy, seeing the, the stars and the stripes and, and the fireworks. That's great. But boy, when we get home, all right, back into our kingdom that's come, what a joy that will be. And he says, you, you destroy all those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. He abhors that. You know, there's that doctor in Detroit. can't remember his name. And he performed hundreds of thousands of abortions. And he's serving now a life sentence. That is a man of bloodshed. You look at what's going on in the Middle East and the dictators and the chopping off of heads of Coptic Christians. That's a man of bloodshed and deceit. The Lord abhors that. And then he changes gear. And this is David's perseverance. Verse 7. But as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, 
I will enter your house. It's not by my righteousness that I'm going to enter into his house. It's by his righteousness, by his everlasting loving kindness. His grace upon my life is what makes me whole. His grace upon my life is what I have going for me that's going to get me to glory someday. Not my righteousness. I may be perfect 99.9% of the time. It's that one-tenth of a percent that I'm not. That I need his righteousness. And I need his loving kindness for every aspect of my life. And it's because of his abundant, not just a little bit of loving kindness, his abundant, overflowing loving kindness that he sent his one and only begotten son. That's loving kindness for us. I will enter your house based on that. I will get into the kingdom based on your loving kindness of you sending your son, that free will, our free gift of of grace and love that he sent for us. Take advantage of that. If you're here today and you haven't, the the offer of that is, is for you. But as for me, by your loving kindness, I will enter into your house and your holy temple, and I will bow in reverence to you. When we get there, you know, I've mentioned this too many a time uh, because of the circle of friends that I have, that are, many of them are outside the church community. And I hear them, you know, when I, I'm at funerals for non-believers, it's, it's kind of tough to do those. But you hear the family mourning, families mourn, you know, they lost their loved one. They weren't a believer. Many in the crowd aren't believers, and they still mourn with a heavy heart. And I hear them, when we get up there, we're going to have a beer with Bob. You know, we're going to have a party like there's no party when we get up there with Bob. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, give me the opportunity at this funeral that I'm about to preach at that I can talk them out of this foolishness. And I've seen it happen, but I've seen a lot of them, they don't care. They just want to go have a beer with Bob in heaven. That's not it. I will enter your holy temple and I will bow in reverence to you. That's the first thing we're going to do when we get there. Every knee shall bow. Whether you're a believer or not, every knee is going to bow. Believers, we're going to bow like this in adoration of the king. And sinners are going to bow with fear and trembling when they hear, do not enter. We have an opportunity in this life to get those folks to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why, you know, we support eight missionaries and we give them 10% of our income every month. And as Martin mentioned that today, I was was doing the quick math on it. And it's not a lot of money. But boy, I tell you that that little bit of money, when there's 100 churches giving to those missionaries, they're on the front lines of countries that we will never get to. You know, we, we support them in Albania and China Taiwan. I don't think I'll ever be in Albania. But my little effort, our little effort as a church is reaching somebody in Albania that will not have to bow in fear, but they're going to bow in adoration to the Lord Jesus Christ because of uh, uh, the, the little pennies in the, in the piggy banks. The gospel message is being preached to little children in Paris, in Moreno Valley. $800 worth of pennies. You think, eh, that's not, that's no big deal. It is. 
I asked the pastor that we give this to, I said, would you prefer, because I have a, a credit union account, and we're allowed to dump nickels and pennies in there and just, you know, give them a check for whatever it is. And he said, oh, that's probably not a bad idea. And I heard his wife in the background say, no, 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 no. It's part of the mission field. She calls in the neighbors to help count and roll pennies. And the conversation that comes from pennies and a little plastic pig, it's powerful. It's reaching people that you couldn't reach. It's reaching the neighbor that wouldn't come to church but says, can you come over? We're going to have tea and we're going to roll some pennies that this church, crazy church out in India has given us. And the conversations. Oh, Lord, lead me in your righteousness. Remember last year, Psalm 119, one where, where the, uh, the well-worn path, the, 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 the way. Lead me in your way, Lord. Lead me in the way that you would want me to go about my life. Whether it's this path here or this path here, I don't know. But you do. Lead me in your way. Don't drag me. Don't let me drag you in my way. But Lord, lead me. Lead me in your way. Lead me in your righteousness. Lead me and teach me, Lord, how to be more righteous. And that's the process of sanctification. You know, we, we start out as, as baby Christians and, you know, we don't know if Romans is the first book or Genesis is the fifth book. And we kind of grow in that. That's, that's kind of the concept here. Lord, lead me in your way of righteousness. Lead me closer to you every day. We should be one step closer to being a, a better Christian. We have to be better than, tomorrow than we were today. We learn more. We hear something in a message that's, that's going to click and we're going to take some value from it and use it somewhere this week. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness. Because of, of my foes, Lord. And then we go back here to David's, this is David's perseverance and his prayer. Make your way straight before me or smooth before me. Make your way, Lord, smooth before me. This isn't my way again. This is the Lord's way. It is, make it smooth so that I can see this is a, a path that I need to be on. You know, it, it, it's okay if we, if we are living our life and we think we're walking with the Lord and we think we're doing it right to say, Lord, check me here. Check me to make, make sure that I'm walking in your path. Make sure that I didn't get off that well-worn path into the rut. Make your way straight or smooth before me. There's nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward parts is destruction itself. <laughs> Out of the mouth, an abundance of their heart comes out of their mouth. Whatever they say is like flattery is what he's talking about here. It, don't trust the flatterers. Don't trust those that are patting you on the back and saying, good job, Pastor Mike. You're doing great up there. And then get out in the lobby. What a stinker that was today. I had lunch with a, a mentor of mine in L.A. this week, a, a saint of a man. And he's... Uh, in his mid-70s, and he goes 110 miles an hour. And uh, he supports a lot of young guys, a, long, a lot of young pastors. Uh, they, we reach out to him for, you know, he's like our, the, the 
rubber bumpers in the bowling alley for kids. He kind of keeps us in the, in the alley. And uh, we met and we were talking, just he and I at McDonald's uh, up near the 10 and the 710, and talking about church and life. And he's wanting to know how you guys are doing. And he said, we're doing wonderful. And he says, how's your associate pastor doing? And I said, he's doing good. And uh, this isn't a flatter. Watch out for the flatterers. <laughs> I have had associate pastors that I couldn't say that about. But I can say that about this man. He's an honorable man. He's a good man. Out of his mouth doesn't come flattery. He checks me pretty tight sometimes. <laughs> he said, did you really mean to say that? Yes, yeah, sir. Wrong note, wrong week. <laughs> Make your way straight before me. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward parts is self-destruction. What comes out of them, the flattery, the nonsense, the lies, it's their self-destruction. It's not going to rock David's boat. It's not going to knock him off his path. It's not going to take his head and turn it from the Lord and say, you know what, they've convinced me now. It's vile that comes out of the mouth, and it starts in their heart. They don't know who Christ is. They don't know who the Lord is. They're self-serving people. And there's nothing unreliable in what they say. And their inner parts is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. When they open their mouth and spew, it's like an open grave. Death and destruction comes from their heart. Because there's no, no Christ in there. There's no Lord in there. When, when the Lord is in your heart, it's hard to spew hate. It's hard to spew destruction. It's hard, you know, it's, what's in your heart comes out as more Christ-likeness every day in our walk with Christ. Their throat is an open grave, and they flatter with their tongue. That's David's characterizing his enemies. And now this is David's petition. This is David's prayer again. He opens up, you know, with the praises up before. Now he's opening up with his petition, verse 10 and 11, or just verse 10. Lord, hold them guilty, O God. Don't forget their iniquities, Lord. I can't hold the grudge, but Lord, let you deal with them. Hold them guilty. By all their devices, let them fall. When they come up with schemes and plans and, and w different ways of doing things, let them fall on their own. Let them stumble at what they try to do. Again, so applicable to, to pastors as to congregants. By their own devices, let them fall. In the multitude of their transgressions, not just one sin here and one sin there, but in the multitude of their transgressions, Thrust them out. Not because they don't like me, King David. Thrust them out, for they are rebellious against you. David's warning this crowd that was following him from the last three chapters. A time is coming. A time is coming that you're going to have to pay. Turn and repent. Stop what you're doing. Turn and face the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. That's as applicable to us today as it was 3,000 years ago to these guys. We live and die by the sword. 
We live and, and die by the, the sins that we commit. But we're not defined by those. We are defined as joyous Christians. They're rebellious against you, Lord. And we'll close up this. Now, this is David's confidence. He, he's so confident that he, he starts his day off and he ends his day with prayer. And he has this habit that he's always doing. You know, he's praying and he praises. And now, verse 11 and 12, this is, this, he's got confidence. This is the confidence that we can have. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. That's us, believers. Take refuge in Christ and be joyous. Be glad. The world is collapsing around us. There's chaos all over the world. But take refuge in God and be glad. We cannot be sullen believers. When we sing these hymns, we have to sing them with joyous hearts in spite of what's going on in our lives, in spite of what's going on around us. He is in control. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them, whoever take refuge in you, let them sing for joy. You know, I often joke about how bad my singing is. But today, and how great thou art, they could hear it in Rancho Cucamonga. That was joy in my heart. I had to stop. For the tears were there. Thinking how great thou art. Or that you saved a wretch like me. A couple different songs melded together there. But think about that. How great he is that he sent his son for us. Let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. And may you, Lord, shelter them in times of trouble. When, the, when the, they're feeling oppressed, when, when the, the armies are mounting and the hate surround us and the mocking of our belief system and, and the turning of our government away from God, may you shelter those that look to you for refuge. That those who love your name will exalt you. That's not keeping Christ to yourself. We love the Lord and we exalt him in everything we do. How can there not be joy in that? And for those who love your name may exult in you, for it is you, Lord. It is you who blesses the righteous man. Oh, Lord, you surround him with favor as with a shield. A righteous man, not a self righteous man. A righteous man is someone that believes in Jesus Christ and we put on his righteousness, his right clothing. The Lord will protect us. We exalt him in no matter the, the situation and we trust in him no matter what's going on around us. And this time I did write down some takeaways. That's right. This is what I really... I put some thought in these. This is what I want us to take away this week. There's four of them. And think about these in the context of whatever is going on in your life that only you know about, that, that the pastoral staff doesn't know about, that the neighbors don't know about. Right? You have permission to be joyful. 
You have permission to be joyful. You have divine permission to shout for joy. Spurgeon said that. No matter, it's not qualified. Lord, I'm afraid if I if I show too much joy, the other foot's going to drop, the boot's going to hit the ground, it's going to fall apart. I'm not going to show joy quite yet. You have permission. With whatever little sliver of joy you see in your in your walk this week, shout for joy. Let someone say that guy's crazy. Lord, thank you. You have permission, not from me, from the Lord. Two. You have a command to be joyful. The Lord, He expects us to be joyful. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. The the. the the meanest thing that Jan's ever said to me was relatively recently, within the last couple of years ago. She said, "Where is your joy?" And I, I, I'm not perfect, you know. Where did my joy go? I don't know. And I had to check it. She was my little rubber bumpers down the, the alleyway for me. And that's terrible when you realize I, I haven't been joyful. I've been, I have the permission to be, and I've been commanded to be, and I'm too busy to be joyful. I'm studying too much. I'm, I'm spending too much time on the train and too much stuff on the traffic. Nobody likes me. The world hates me. Be joyful. Third, you should pray for joy, both in yourself and in others especially servants of the Lord. If you lose your joy in your religion or you will be a poor worker, you cannot bear strong testimony, you cannot bear stern trial, you cannot lead powerful life in proportions as you maintain your joy, you will be strong in the Lord and for the Lord. Spurgeon. Pray for joy. Lord Jesus, give me joy. Last one. You have a promise for joy. God promises joy and gladness to the believers. Light is sown for them. The Lord will turn their night into day. Spurgeon. Some guy from a hundred something years ago has some pretty cool thoughts about joy. You have permission this week to be joyful. Find time to relish that. If it's a relationship that you're, you know, it's kind of rocky, you get a nice phone call, be joyful. The Lord Jesus was joyful when he sent his son for you. There was joy in heaven when he gave up his one and only begotten son. Be joyful in that. Be joyful for your sanctification that you're growing in the knowledge of the Lord. Be joyful in your salvation that you have him as your Savior. There's a lot of things we as believers can be joyful for. Don't be sullen like David going up the hill. Lift your head up high and say, Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this, this timely psalm, Lord. And Lord, that you give us the opportunity to show the joy that we have in you with those around us this week. Whether it's with our spouse or with our co-workers or with people we just passed on the road lord let us be a joyful people and enter into your presence with joy lord give us the opportunity to 
greet you. The last we put our head on our pillow at night and the first we get up in the morning, that you give us the opportunity this week to say, Amen and Amen, we love you, Lord. Most of all this morning, Lord, I'm thankful for the, the gift of salvation that you've given us. And Lord, if we can't think of anything else to be joyful about, that that is where we start. Give us the opportunity this week, Lord, to share that love and that joy with those around us. We love you, and it's in your precious name I pray. Amen. I know in the bulletin we have every month, I mean every day, that we read it, Second Chronicles 7.14, and um, it says to pray that. And so I'm going to read it to you so that you can take it away with you today. Second Chronicles 